Well, good morning, IEC. It's so good to see you today, uh, to gather together and worship. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us in music. Hey, can we just give them a round of applause real fast? It's so good to be able to worship together in song and in truth as well. And so um, my name is Kent Ostell. Uh, my family, my wife Jenny, me, and my three daughters, Kennedy, Brooklyn, and Savannah, we've been here in Addis Ababa for a little over three and a half years where we've been attending uh, IEC uh, and serving here in Addis. And so it is my pleasure today and joy to be able just to come and uh, share in the Word of God with you today. Um, Pastor Vic Anderson, for the last four weeks, has been leading us through the book of Luke, chapters 9 through 12. Uh, this week and next week as well, we're going to continue that series through the book of Luke, being in Luke 13 today. Uh, before we start out, I just want to share a short story with you. Um, about five years ago, uh, me and my family got to travel to Rome or to, to Italy to visit some family who were living there at the time. Uh, and I was excited to, move, to go to Rome and really to visit one place in particular, and that was the Colosseum. The Colosseum is a place with so much history, with uh, so much church history, with so much, it's a symbol of the power of this empire. Um, in church history, as we think about the martyrs of Christians that died in that place, this was a place that I had listened to information to historians, that I had just taken a class on church history that was talking about this place. So I was very excited to go. So as our family finally got the opportunity to go, I remember walking into the Colosseum, standing on this uh, balcony area overlooking the whole arena, and, and in that moment just thinking all of the things that I had learned over the last months, the history that had happened in that place, the impact, the momentous area that we were, how much had occurred right here. Now, five years ago, I had a four, three, and one-year-old, and my one-year-old was strapped to my chest. It's an Italian summer day in Rome. If you know anything about that, that means it's very hot. So a one-year-old is strapped to me, grumpy because she's so warm. My three- and four-year-old just wanting more gelato and tired and tired of walking and those things as well. Uh, there's a way that young kids can make you kind of expedite your tour, okay? And so for us, it was a very brief visit to the Colosseum. But I, I remember standing there, just taking it all in, and then my three daughters, they were just young, right? They didn't know any better. This was just another old structure that they uh, had to go with mommy and daddy to go see. And they completely kind of blew by the magnitude of the place that they were standing in. Just a quick, brief introduction of our chapter today in, in Luke 13. Uh, this is a passage in Luke 13 that, if we're not careful, it's very easy to blow by it. It's very easy for us, uh, if this was part of my daily devotional time, I might have just kind of read right through it and then just gone on with my day, but I don't want us to miss today the magnitude of the chapter that we're standing in. Luke 13, if we just think through the history of Luke real fast, uh, Luke starts with the birth of Jesus, the introduction of his ministry, the growth and development of his ministry. Then we get to Luke 13, where we are today, and though it isn't the climax of the book, it is a hinge point in the book. This is the last time that Jesus is recorded teaching in a synagogue. And right after this chapter, there is a rapid progression of teachings, parables, and a couple healings leading to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem that we know where Jesus will ultimately be 
uh, crucified. That's about three weeks after this event today. So if you can imagine, this is an escalating moment in the ministry of Jesus. And so may we not miss the magnitude of what we're standing in today. So if you will, stand with me for the reading of God's word in Luke 13, starting in verse 10. This is the word of the Lord. So now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And not not this woman, the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Verse 18, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the word of God for the people of God. And the people of God said, praise be to God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. As you say, your word is living and active. Your Holy Spirit inspired it and written by the hands and mouths of man. And God, and we today, you have preserved it through the centuries so that we could sit here today and trust that this is your word. And so God, today, God, I pray that your word would continue to manifest itself as living and active, Father, in our hearts and our minds. God, that we would be transformed by the things that you have written to us today. Oh God, help us have eyes to see and ears to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take a seat. So today, uh, this passage in Luke 13, uh, a beautiful passage with really three main themes that I'll go through today. Uh, The first is God's compassion, God's kingdom, and then God's salvation. Those are three points today, and we're going to spend a little time talking about each and then spending some time in application on each of those points today. So let's first today start talking about the first point or first theme, God's compassion. If you will, let's go back to uh, the first verse of this passage, chapter 10, and read it again. So now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So immediately we get introduced to a major character in this story today, a woman. And we don't know much about her other than a a major characteristic. She was disabled. And the author of Luke goes on to explain why she was disabled, that that she was bent over, she could not straighten up, so she was uh, fully bent. Um, And the author of Luke describes it not just as a physical disability, but, but it was because of what? A disabling spirit. 
So here in this woman who was disabled, actually the author was saying that there was something deeper going on, that there was a spiritual oppression that this woman was experiencing. And it said for how long, right? It said for 18 years. Though we don't know um, how old this woman was, 18 years is a long time, is it not? Almost two decades that this woman, if she were to walk down the street, could not greet other people in socially appropriate ways. She, in her house, could not perform normal functions that she would want to perform in her house. Just to function and to be a normal human and do normal things was impossible for her. And for 18 years, this woman was plagued by this. A, every minute was reminded of the disability that she had. So just imagine for 18 years being oppressed with this disability. Just imagine her, her weariness, her tiredness, her insecurity, her shame that she felt. Something else that we see in her is this. It it, it describes her as Jesus was teaching that she was just in the synagogue. She was just there. Unlike other healings that we have, uh, are recorded in the Gospels, you know, that there's many times that someone who's disabled that's needing healing will, will say something like, Jesus, save me, have mercy on me. They will try to reach out and touch the edge of his cloak. Another disabled person, his family and friends cut a hole in the roof and they let him down through the ceiling, right? But this woman does none of those things. What does she do? She's just there, silent, sitting. I can, I can picture her in a synagogue, right, with other people bent over. She can't really be seen. She's hidden amongst the masses. It's a very interesting picture that's painted if, if we really think about it. Right after this, we're introduced to two other characters who have differing um, interactions or reactions to this woman when they have to engage with her. Character number one today is Jesus. Look at verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. So Jesus was teaching in this synagogue, okay, was in the middle of this teaching, and somehow in the middle of that, finds this woman hidden amongst the crowd. And Jesus, in his omniscience, that that means that he's all-knowing, recognizes what's going on in this woman. It's not just that she can't stand up, but this is a a spiritual oppression on this woman. And, And the passage makes it sound as though that while he was teaching, he interrupted the regular service or program that was going on, that he, uh, like, that's interrupting, like, this service today. And he starts engaging with this woman. And it doesn't exactly say why, but we can very easily discern why, or sorry, what Jesus was feeling at this time. Jesus was responding to this woman in compassion. How do we see that? Well, look, God's or Jesus' compassion here is seen by his action. If you notice very carefully here, Jesus does four different actions to engage with this woman. Listen, first he saw her. He saw her in the crowd. Secondly, he called to her. He called her to come forward. Next, he laid his hand on her, this uh, social outcast, this woman of shame. He laid his hand on her. And then what did he do? He healed her. He straightened her again. 
It's interesting here that Jesus' compassion is seen. It doesn't have to, uh, to be stated, right? That Jesus' compassion was seen by what he did for this woman. Compassion must lead to action. I can say I'm compassionate, but if it does not lead to action, do I really have love or compassion in my heart? That Jesus' compassion led him to action, so much so that he broke the social norms of the synagogue that day or those things as well. It was probably a little uncomfortable in the room, but he was so moved by that. That was the example of Jesus. Character number two that we meet in the next passage is the ruler of the synagogue. Look at verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. You see, the ruler of the synagogue, uh, his response in this whole situation was indignation. It's a big word. Uh, Anger. Insult. That his immediate response was anger towards Jesus. And we see that, right, because of his response. He doesn't even turn to address Jesus. He just turns his back to him and addresses the crowd. Do you see that? And, and he makes this statement, and, and he says, basically, hey, look, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is holy. It's for rest. And Jesus, that is work. And it's interesting, though, because in a sense, he's right, that what he's declaring is actually the law of the Old Testament, that we see from the very beginning in Genesis 2, God set that example for us, right? After creating the world in six days and all the universe, on the seventh day, God rested. And then in the next book of the Bible in Exodus, Exodus 20, with the Ten Commandments, Jesus made this commandment. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Yeah, I heard it. And keep it holy that the Sabbath was meant for rest from the work, to put aside the work of the other six days so that we could be focused on the Lord, that we could receive spiritual and physical rest on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant for the Lord. So this rule of the synagogue was declaring these truths back uh, here, that the Sabbath is a very big deal. But ironically, though, is Jesus not bringing rest to this woman? Is Jesus, and what he just did, in bringing healing from this oppression of this demonic realm, he is freeing her physically and spiritually to usher her into true rest with God. Yes? But notice that the ruler of the synagogue never displays any compassion to this woman. By the way, a woman that he probably has seen before in his synagogue. A woman who was probably known in that area that everyone knew of her disability She had known it or had had it for 18 years. This wasn't an unknown person. And yet when this woman was healed, we see literally no compassion, only indignation towards Jesus. And so in the comparison of these two characters, Jesus and the the ruler of the synagogue, can we see this, right? Jesus saw the woman, had compassion, and what did it lead to? It led to rest, and rejoicing in worship. But then here's the synagogue leader who saw the same woman, had no compassion, and by the things that he said and the things that he did, it heaped on more shame on this woman, right? And also to the whole crowd, put more bondage of law on them than before. What a contrast of two people. Jesus 
seeing this, uh, confronts immediately his response. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. By the way, we always immediately have a negative feelings toward this ruler of the synagogue, but this was a respected leader, a religious leader. This was a man who most people are respected and honored and those things. And here's Jesus speaking out, you hypocrite, and he gives an illustration to go with it. Keep him going. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And not not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. You see, immediately, Jesus, knowing this man, knowing this ruler of the synagogue, knowing his heart, knowing what he's doing after the synagogue lessons that day and service that day, uh, makes this illustration in a a very uh, distinct contrast. If you look just on the screen here at this table, You see, he compares this woman with this religious leader's ox, right? An ox to a daughter of God, an image bearer of the God of the universe, right? This ox just has a a physical need, thirst. Probably is going to be okay if he doesn't get it satisfied, right? Just physical need. This woman had physical and spiritual need. Look here. This ox was thirsty probably just for a couple of hours. It wasn't going to kill him. This woman had been in need for 18 years. This ox, just an animal used as a tool, basically, right, for plowing or farming or those things. This lady who Jesus refers to, did you hear it? A daughter of who? Abraham. A daughter of Abraham. A daughter of the covenant. God had made a covenant or promise with this man Abraham, that his descendants were going to be a chosen people set apart for God. This woman was a descendant of Abraham, a Jewish woman set apart for God. So feel this tension in the room, right? That here's this woman, here's this ox. This synagogue leader has more compassion for the daily thirst of his animal than he does for this image bearer of God, a daughter of the covenant the, the hypocrisy was so evident. Just look at verse 17. And he, as he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. What a picture. Go Jesus on what a stark picture to bring to light this truth. And by the way, let's pause for just a moment. Uh, it's also amazing to me that this synagogue leader, so what is the, the synagogue leader's job? He is in charge of leading, organizing, managing the operations, the inner workings, the services that happen in the synagogue. What's the synagogue for? The synagogue is designed, right, for people, the people of God to gather together, to turn their gaze and eyes and worship God. And by the way, also, as we've said, the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath for? To put away our work, to... Uh, get away of those distractions to attend our attention towards the Lord. And the thing about this picture right here, guys, is this. Here's God incarnate, God the flesh, Jesus, who all of a sudden shows up on the Sabbath, the day designed for the Lord, in the synagogue, the place designed to point people to God, in front of the synagogue leader, the very man who was designed to lead all the worship that was supposed to point to God. 
using the law of the Sabbath against him, right? The law that was supposed to point us to God, and the synagogue leader missed it. Do you all see that? He missed God himself standing before him. The law of God that was supposed to draw so beautifully towards him was the very stumbling block for him as he emphasized the law rather than what was standing in front of him. You see, Jesus, with this woman, saw her, called her, touched her, and healed her. His compassion moved him to action. And so for us today, as we think about this compassion of God, I kind of want us to stop for just a moment in two points of application. The first one is this, of application of this point number one, that we have, our God is compassionate. We have a compassionate God. Amen? Amen? Our God is one of compassion. That is a defining characteristic of our God. What we see here is a beautiful picture of Jesus caring about the afflictions, the burdens, the disability, the hurts, the pains of a woman. And by the way, he does that for us too, yes? That he cares about your hurts, your afflictions, your pains, your struggles. Our God is a compassionate God. And he's been that since the time of creation all the way until now. It's beautiful. Secondly, on this idea of God's compassion is this. We too should be people of compassion. Hear me on this. If God's heart is compassion and we are people of God seeking the heart of God, then should we not also be people of compassion? That we should be known that a special characteristic that we are defined by when people were to describe us is one of compassion. Uh, This past week as I met with the IEC team on the sermon prep, uh, one person had made just a great point and they said this, one small act of compassion can have radical impact. If I were to sit down with each of you, probably at some point in your life, you could give me some stories about there's a time where someone was compassionate to you and it radically impacted your life. So for us today, and I can't answer this question for you, but I just want to stop for just a moment and you to think through this. And if you need to write it down right now or, or something, I, I want us to leave this place today being an image bearer of God in this idea of living in compassion. What might it look like for you today, this week, as you walk out of these doors today, to show compassion to someone around you? To show compassion. In light of the compassion that we have experienced, how can we have compassion towards maybe a family member? Maybe a coworker or someone that, that we're going to engage with? How about as you walk down the sidewalk or you go to a restaurant today or you're sitting at a coffee shop? What is a way that you could show compassion? Are we people of compassion? Point number one today as we talk about God's compassion. Point number two today is God's kingdom. Our scripture then takes a a, a turn. In verse 18, it starts with these three words. It says, he said, therefore. Uh, A favorite question that we always love to ask on therefore is, what's the therefore, therefore? But that term therefore is a a connecting word. It's a bridge between what just happened, the story that just happened, and what's about to be said afterwards. It's this connection. Jesus is about to continue to add something to this event that he just had. 
So let's read this in verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So right following the story of this healing of a disabled woman, Jesus immediately goes into building off that story and starts talking about the kingdom of God. I'm not sure if you're like me. The first time I read this, I said, what's happening here, right? We just saw a woman heal. Why are we talking about the kingdom of God? It made no sense to me. But as what you see, if you were to look at the book of Luke, Jesus continuously, and and the author of Luke continuously pointed to these miracles or healings that Jesus did as evidence of the coming kingdom of God. Because these miracles and healings actually were showing the demonic realm that was causing oppression or affliction being overthrown by Jesus, and now the heavenly realm, freedom from bondage and sin, freedom from the demonic world, that Jesus was ushering his kingdom, and what better picture of that than these healings and miracles. By the way, uh, the kingdom of God is this constant theme in Luke that we saw it from John the Baptist at the beginning of Luke saying that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is saying those. It's coming. It's near. Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor uh, Vic Anderson uh, shared with us in chapter 11 the story of this mute man that was healed. And right after that, Jesus, when arguing with the Pharisees, makes the point the kingdom of God has come upon you. These healings and this kingdom of God are intricately tied together. The kingdom of God has come. And look here, he gives uh, these two very interesting illustrations of the kingdom of God, right? A mustard seed and leaven. Both are seemingly insignificant amounts of something that over time grows into something very great. A mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, but it grows into a large tree. Leaven, a small ingredient in dough, right, just put in, but has effect over all of the dough. It influences all of it over time. You see, these would have been incredibly countercultural for the Jews of the day. The typical Jewish understanding of the kingdom of God was there was going to be a military or political leader that was going to come, have conquest, free them, and then reign. It was going to be a sudden, mighty conquest. And then here Jesus comes right after this healing and he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? The small little thing. See, Jesus was making this point. The kingdom of God, which is here now, those small, those seemingly insignificant in some ways, right? It's, it's just Jesus and 12 disciples and a few other followers. This, this kingdom that started as a seed will continue to grow and expand, It will continue to spread and influence. It will continue until its completion. The kingdom of God, one day when we see in Revelation 7 again, right? And Jesus has returned. And we stand before the throne room of God again. But this kingdom will come to fruition. Will come to maturity or completion. And if we think about it for just a moment, guys, today. Let's think about from the moment Jesus said this. A few followers of Jesus right? These healings happening. Flash forward to our day, 20 centuries later. Think of the billions of people where the gospel has gone out 
to. Think of the billions of people that have now accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that has been freed from spiritual bondage, right, and then been given life and right relationship with God again. Let me ask you, as we look through the history of the world and we see how the kingdom has spread, has the mustard seed grown? Yes or no? Has the leaven spread? Yes. By the way, what started so small, it's a beautiful picture. By the way, let's just think of Ethiopia. In this country, from the time of Scripture, how God beautifully was spreading the gospel in the times of Scripture throughout this land, right? And then take even the last hundred years and the beautiful revivals and the movement of the Holy Spirit that's been happening. In Ethiopia alone, is the mustard seed growing? Is the leaven spreading? What a beautiful picture. Application on God's kingdom today is twofold. Number one, we should have confidence in the plans of God. Amen? That we have a God, if we didn't believe him right here, we have 20 centuries of evidence since that point that God's kingdom is continuing to grow into a giant tree. That we have evidence to back up our faith in Christ and the words of God that he is continuing to fulfill his plans and purposes. Nothing can thwart our God's kingdom. Amen? And so application for us is this. If that's true and we can have confidence of that, how should that affect the way I live today and the challenges of tomorrow? Should a Christian be marked by anxiety and fear and worry when we face uncertainty? When we face crisis? When we face a challenge in our workplace? When we face all sorts of situations? That we should be people who are confident that the God who is in control of all, all powerful, whose plans can never be thwarted, will continue until his kingdom has come to fruition. Secondly, on this idea of God's kingdom is this. Uh, I, I find it fascinating that this woman recognized the hand of God. The, the one that was healed, it was undeniable to her. She responded just in worship. If you notice, there was no one else that responded that way, right? No one else did. The crowd didn't. The ruler of the synagogue didn't. And I would just challenge us today on this. As people of God, if we know that the kingdom of God is at work, it's growing, it's spreading, God cannot be thwarted, then we should be people who always can see, that always worship, that are always recognizing the hand of God or the mustard seeds all around us. Are we people who can see God at work all around us? And I'll be honest, guys, for me personally, uh, as I have been uh, uh, reflecting on this passage, I find it very hard sometimes to actually see this. Because many times it seems like our current day, there's more darkness than there is mustard seeds going around. Whether it's COVID, right, that just lays a blanket on everything it feels like at moments, or conflict uh, in my own personal life at moments, or uh, as we see in larger as well, all over the world, whether it's financial troubles or challenges based upon COVID or inflation or all sorts of things whether it's interpersonal challenges, whether it's just my own personal failings, that sometimes it's just like, man, God, where is the, where's the fruit? Where's this kingdom? How do we see you moving? Yeah, yeah, I can see it in the 20 centuries before, but today, where are you? 
And guys, God is at work. Our God has mustard seeds all around us. His kingdom continues to move. And are we people that can see it? Do we have eyes to see the works of God? And until that beautiful day comes when that mustard seed is fully grown and the kingdom of God has been fully established, right? And we stand before the throne of God. May we commit ourselves to be people who can always be worshiping, that can always be declaring the mustard seeds of God around us. Amen? Lastly today, and our, our final point, um, is God's salvation. Uh, I was really just taken aback in this passage, guys. Every time I, I reflected on it was that this passage, this healing of a disabled woman, uh, that's not just her story. That this woman, this disabled woman is actually me. That this woman is actually my life story. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your story. Because unlike this woman, right, and and some of us in this room may have physical challenges or disabilities as well, but actually, we have a much greater issue, don't we? We have a physical disability. A physical disability, one, it's, it's called sin, and it's a disability that has crippled us, that has allowed us not to walk uprightly before God anymore. That we have been separated from the God of the universe, broken relationship with him because of this disability, this spiritual oppression. And not just 18 years like this woman, but we were born with this disability. And this woman's disability was going to stop at the end of her life, but our disability, our spiritual disability carries on into eternity if Jesus does not redeem us. And what does Jesus do for us? Think back to the story that we just said. In our disability, in our bondage, in our weight, that we are crumpled over, unable to stand up right before God, what did Jesus do for this woman? He saw her. Does he not see us? In the full wretchedness of my sin. And what did he do for that woman? He called her. He called her up to him. Guess what? Jesus goes beyond that for us. Jesus calls to us, yes, but did you know also that God, for his compassion for us, not only called us, but he came to us. That Jesus sent his son incarnate in the form of a man, as Philippians 2 says, to us, to meet us in our disability, in our brokenness. And then it says, just like the woman, right? He sees us, he calls us, but not only calls us, he comes to us. And then it says that he touches us in our shame, in our brokenness, in our, in our filth. He touches us and then he heals us. And guys, in the midst of this, understand, uh, from this passage right here, the way that he heals us is happening in three weeks from this, right? When he enters into Jerusalem and he's, arrested for crimes he didn't commit and he's tried and convicted for things that he didn't deserve and he's hung on a cross for punishments that he did not do and he takes the all the wrath of sin for us that he did not deserve why so that the spiritual bondage and disability that we have might be placed upon jesus so that we could ultimately be made upright to stand before the god of the universe again amen what a beautiful picture of the gospel for us today. And I just pray, guys, that as we end, and here's my applications of the day on this final um, theme or point. 
may the beauty of that picture of our salvation be fresh to us today. May we not get bored and blow by that like standing in the Colosseum, but may we be able to revel in what God has done for us again. And as we end, think back to the people in the crowd as this miracle happened, as they saw this thing happen. There was this woman who responded to Jesus so clearly. She saw the works of God, saw the mustard seeds. She just worshiped and responded to God, yes? And then there's others in the crowd as well that didn't experience God, that, right? They, um, in a sense, as this woman was healed, they, they just sat silent. They weren't sure. They were questioning, is this true? Is this not? Is, what is this? And for those in the room today who have experienced this freedom that Jesus gives, I pray that we could worship in just a minute as we end with a beautiful song about this, that our hearts and our souls would be, it'd be a beautiful aroma to God. For those in this room as well that have never experienced the freedom from the oppression of sin, that the right relationship with God, then may you today as well not just sit silent as the crowd did, but may you come and you experience the freedom that Christ can give today, whether it's talking with Pastor Mike here or elders as well or, or myself, would you come and engage so that you could be touched by the God of the universe? who has paid the price for you today. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I am so grateful for your word, Father. I um, confess when I, I started this passage, Father, it just seemed just like another healing, like another argument with the Pharisees. Oh but God, as, as we prayed at the beginning, your word is living and active. Lord, it pierces my soul. God, I have been so convicted and challenged this week. God, forgive me personally for the ways in which I so blindly miss the mustard seeds all around, how my heart is so prone to lack of compassion. God, how I can so easily become numb to this beautiful picture of the gospel that you have, that you've saved me. So God, as we sit here today for just a moment, I just, I just want to give us in the room for your Holy Spirit just a moment to speak. Father, for us to meditate, to reflect, to soak in these truths of your word today. God, you have compassion towards us. You have freed us. May we live in that freedom today. Oh God, we give this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.